from the sports of the secondcity.com studios, it's the Second Winded Podcast. Now, here's your host, Brad Robinson. And welcome into the Second Winded Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Robinson. It is Stanley Cup final week. The Blackhawks and Lightning game one in the books uh, took place earlier in the week with the Blackhawks coming out on top, coming in to, uh, to join us this week for a bit of an extended interview since it is a special circumstance. We have the same guy we broke down the Blackhawks-Ducks series with. It's John Gregory. He's a reporter at IRN, a sports reporter at Rivet Radio. You can find him on Twitter at John Gregory X. John, thanks for joining me again. Ah, well, thank you for having me back, Brad. So, game one, the game went kind of exactly as I expected it to go. Uh, the Lightning are young, they're eager, they're playing at home, and we know they're a very fast team. They came out blazing the first 10 to 15 minutes, uh, but it was a pace that I found uh, rather unsustainable, and the Blackhawks kind of slowed them down a little bit in the second period, took advantage of some big mistakes, and really showed their veteran savvy in that game one. Yeah, you have to think maybe it was something of the veteran experience pops in where the Hawks can sustain that speed or maybe the lightning just really didn't pace themselves in that sort of game by going to the Blackhawks and really while the lightning came out strong and fast if you look at the game as a whole and especially I mean they got one goal off what is really a almost uh you you have to go back to a physics textbook to figure out how that ridiculous tip in by Alex Killorn was was really scored. I mean, that shot was heading 10 feet wide before somehow he got his stick on it and put it in, and that and that's all they could manage despite all that speed. I agree that they seemed to sl- that they uh, really seemed to run out of gas and were really searching for a timeout in that third period because they were just gasping for air. And really, I, I don't know whether it was just the pace got to them. They really didn't build themselves for the long haul with that first period. And if you think about it, it really didn't pay off all that well, except for one pretty fluky goal. The hockey fans in Chicago tend to be uh, fairly new hockey fans because for so long the games weren't on TV. And when I was reading through my Twitter feed during that first period, people were in awe at the lightning speed. And again, we knew they were fast, but, but have you, I mean, is it even possible for a team to keep that up for an entire period, let alone an entire game or entire seven-game series? I mean, it, it was astounding the way they came out, but, I mean, you're even 22-year-old, 23-year-olds run out of gas. I really think you have to go with the marathon, uh, marathon, not a sprint mentality, especially when the Lightning are lining up against another speedy team. The Blackhawks and Lightning, this is a speed on speed matchup maybe the sort of strategy you're talking about and the one they employed in game one is something that could have worked against a much uh, slower churning shutdown team like the rangers that they that, know that they face in the eastern conference finals for the hawks not the right strategy because the hawks may be smart enough not to go full bore when they clearly are gassing themselves on the lightning side and then they're going to be able to turn it up when they need to because they're a speed team just like the Lightning are. 
So Lightning are really rich in young top flight talent, kind of similar to what the Blackhawks were uh, back in the 09 season before they had won their first cup, uh, maybe even similar in the in the 2010 campaign as well. Uh, Steven Stamkos is a, is a stud. He's 25 years old. Uh, Johnson Palat and Kucherov are an awesome line. But outside of that, uh, the Lightning get a little bit thin, and we saw it in Game 1 where the Blackhawks uh, get big goals from some of their late liners. Uh, the Lightning won't be, I don't think the Lightning will be able to, to keep up as far as the depth is concerned. Well, and that was probably the flaw is that the focus for the Lightning was on, as you said, they don't have a ton of depth, at least not to the extent that the Hawks do, and they focused their power on stopping Kane and Taves. They were able to put their top, their top defensive pair, uh, Victor Hedman, Anton Strallman, they, uh, they were able to put them on Kane and Taves and really shut them down, but then it was those, the uh, especially the Richards or Stieg Hosa line, generating some really great chances that connected, and then Tara Vinen obviously chipping in there as well. Um, you're right, that depth is going to come back to bite them because... If you shut down Kane and Taves, and there's some there's something to be said that maybe Kane and Taves should not be playing on the same line in this series to force John Cooper to kind of pick his poison and split up one of his best his best defensive pair to try to shut down one or the other. If you put them both on the ice, okay, well then he sends both out and he can really get the job done. But it seems in the playoffs the Hawks always find a way those guys further down the lineup can figure out a way to come through and they did even when uh, this is the first time in these playoffs that the Hawks have won without Kane or Taves scoring so they needed the guys in, in the third and fourth lines to come through and they did and it worked out Victor Hedman is a guy if Blackhawks fans aren't familiar with him by the end of this series they are going to be all too familiar with him. He reminds me a, a little bit of Chris Pronger, uh, a little bit Zdeno Charo, but a, it's the kind of defenseman that is anchoring a defense that uh, the Blackhawks have seen before in the finals and have handled fairly well. They have, and you're, you're right. I mean, people are going to have a newfound respect. I think for Hedman and Strawman, the, the top defensive pair for the Lightning, I think they're really going to come through and see even if the Hawks take this in four, five, six games, not really being stretched to their limit, they're going to come out with a newfound respect for this defensive pair. What doesn't help a guy like Victor Hedman, and he actually talked about this after the game, was the sort of prevent defense the Lightning went into in the third period that you could very well argue cost them the game, especially in this speed matchup. They conceded two-thirds of the ice to the Blackhawks. And Hedman said after the game, in a uh, about as nice of a criticism of a coach's strategy as you can, he just said the Lightning weren't happy sitting back like they did in the third. And if they effectively put him in that position, that's not going to help his. That's not going to help him. That's not going to help the team. And it's going to minimize the effectiveness of the defenseman, everyone on the Lightning, if they choose to play that sort of uh, prevent defense again. If they find themselves with a late lead on the Hawks. Duncan Keith played over 200 minutes in the series against Anaheim. Uh, he's going to be carrying just as heavy a load this series, especially with the thinned out uh, defense with Roosevelt out. 
Is there any concern that those minutes may eventually catch up with him? I don't think so. They 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 continually describe Duncan Keith as a freak. Uh, he was getting asked during the Western Conference Finals about how much body fat do you have and how do you in in, in such great condition. He says he just doesn't worry about it. And and Quinville said the exact same thing. He says he just sends Keith on the ice and it always seems to work out. So while I'm sure they want to hand off some of those minutes, at the end of the day, it's also the Stanley Cup final. They're going to rely on their top three, top four, if you want to uh, put in Oduya into that picture. And they're going to ride Keith. And Keith, at this point of the season, he's not going to ask to be resting. He wants to be on, on the ice absolutely as much as possible. And they're going to do that. And they don't seem worried at all about riding him that hard because he, he always delivers. They've got defenseman problems. They know that. They're a little they're a little thin with that five and six. That's something that can be settled in the offseason. That's not something to worry about now. You know, I thought Comiskey played pretty well in game one, considering that he hasn't seen a lot of ice time. And he didn't again, I mean, five minutes, uh I wanted I mean, I want to say, you know what, just a few sh- a handful of shifts and five minutes of ice time. Runblad didn't do much better to seven minutes. I really think that Comiskey might be the odd man out if they choose to make um move a defenseman i don't disagree but it, I, it the overriding issue quinville just doesn't trust him and i you you can't blame bringing a guy up from the ahl in the middle of the playoffs and that's what you have to go with i can't blame quinville for keeping his ice time thin uh he was on the ice for a few goals during uh the wild series and the and he's he's been beat before and that all adds up to Quinville just not trusting him. And frankly, if if Kimo was playing anything like the player that they were trying to trade for, a sort of fifth or sixth defenseman, Comiskey wouldn't be out there. And it, it just boils down to Quinville doesn't trust him. He's not going to get the ice time. The Blackhawks throughout this playoff run have really dealt with some huge goalies, uh, when it comes to stature, Pecorine 6'5", Devin Dubnik 6'6", uh, Frederick Anderson 6'3", and now Ben Bishop at 6'7". They haven't really had a problem scoring on these guys, despite the fact that they take up an awful lot of the net. No, and I, and I don't think Ben Bishop is really all that intimidating. Uh, I think the Hawks can and will get him. Uh, frankly, they could have gotten him more in Game 1 if... There were certain shots where Bishop lost sight of the puck, and his top shelf, despite, as you pointed out, he's a big, big man, his top shelf was pretty open. And they hit some of those shots, they get a little lift, and it's a different, totally different game. Bishop is going, and he's proved this in these playoffs, he's going to have some bad nights. He's due to give up a five-goal game at least once in the series. He did so against the Rangers three times. And the Rangers aren't the offensive team that the Blackhawks are. I want to say Rangers, I think, six in the regular season in in shots per game. Blackhawks, number one in the league. They will pepper Bishop, and they will score on him. And that also plays into the speed matchup. And at some point in the series, we're going to get a 6-5, 5-4 sort of game. And frankly, it could be a 6-2, 6-1, and they could, the Hawks could really do some damage to Ben Bishop. Uh, what they need to do is avoid riding the boards 
And as you saw, right in that third period, they started occupying the center, bringing it up the center, and good things happened. I'm glad you brought up the top shelf of Bishop because, I mean, it must have been 60 seconds before the Blackhawks scored their first goal. Uh, I had tweeted out that Bishop's top shelf had been open all night long, and once the Blackhawks were able to elevate the puck a little bit, things could get ugly, and then within two minutes, the Blackhawks had the lead. That top shelf, once Bishop goes down, he's so big and has has a, a huge five-hole he's got to protect, and once he goes down to his knees, it's tough for him to get back up, and, and I think that top shelf is going to be very vulnerable throughout the entirety of this series. And if they can elevate, they can get to it, because as I said, there were pucks that Bishop, you could tell if you looked at the replays, look at his eyes, he did lose it due to traffic in front of the net. The problem was it wasn't elevated and it just hit. And you know, there was no, there was no space on the bottom half of him, so, so it just hit him and didn't and didn't find that top shelf where the open spots were. If the Hawks can continually elevate, uh, I think you're exactly on the money. They're going to find some pay dirt. Another area where Bishop is very vulnerable, uh, for a big goalie, usually these these big goalies tend to stay in the crease a lot and, and really stay on the net, but Bishop likes to get out there and move, and uh, if the Blackhawks can maybe hold on to the puck a little longer, uh, they may be able to find a serious weakness on his backside because he comes out of that crease so much. That's always a risk, and I would agree that it's odd that a man that big would choose to play that sort of thought. It seems you're asking for one of those oh no moments where a simple uh, you know, sweep back of the puck past the blue lines out of your zone is going to go wrong. A speedy skater is going to come up, beat you, and get an almost empty net or at least a one-on-one. And I think you're right. If he really tests that, he's going to get hurt by it by the Hawks at some point in this series. Lightning spent a lot of time in the penalty box in the last series against the Rangers, and and they have throughout the playoffs. I mean, they are a young team. They're a little bit undisciplined, but the Blackhawks' power play has been abysmal, Uh, (laughs) not just these playoffs or this season. It seems like it's been abysmal as long as they've been good. Do you think this is something that is not going to matter as much because the Hawks are weak on the power play. Uh, Tampa struggled a little bit in the penalty kill against New York, but overall have they've done a fine job. Uh, where do you see the, the special teams going in this series? Well, you pointed out that they've always kind of been bad, and we're talking about a team that's been to you know, three Stanley Cup finals in six years. It's never been their strength. I actually remember the banner-raising night for the 2013 teams of the first game of the 20 of uh, the, the 2014 or the 2013, 2014 season. And five minutes in they Hawks had their first power play and the reaction from all the riders on this huge banner raising night, defending champions, the big reaction uh, power play still sucks. That's the way they are. And it doesn't seem to affect them. They've gotten this far without it. Uh, and, it, and it also, you have to point out that at times, what makes it even more frustrating with the Hawks' power play is that sometimes it works perfectly. There was the Ducks game where they scored twice in the first period on the power play, and then next game, can't get anything. Uh, but I don't think that's the biggest issue because they've been overcoming it for years. At this point, why worry about it? I'm sure it's something that makes Joe Quinville want to pull out his mustache hair, but... 
it's the way they are and they've overcome it that many times. I don't see it seeing it being the deciding factor or anywhere near a deciding factor in this series. Yeah, you know, there are times when I'm watching a Hawks game and I see a penalty on the opposition and I kind of slump down. I say, oh, here we go, because really it's giving the the opposing team a chance to kill the penalty and grab a little bit of momentum, which we see is a thing in hockey. When a team is able to, to kill off a penalty, a lot of times they come back and score quickly. Yes, uh, and they did waste some some big opportunities, the Blackhawks, last night. Especially, I thought that, that third straight power play they got when the Lightning had too many men on the ice, that was one of the worst of a a big selection of bad Hawks power plays to choose from. Uh, and you're right. It swings the momentum. Although maybe with the Blackhawks, they expect them to be bad on the power play. So it doesn't really benefit the opposing team that much. Again, not a deciding factor in this series. They've overcome that deficiency about themselves before. And, uh, let's put it this way. A lot better. It's a lot better. If you're going to be bad at one of these two things, the penalty kill or the power play, you'll choose being bad at the power play. Oh, no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. If the Hawks can, that, that'll be the bigger, that's a much uh, bigger deciding factor in this series than anything related to the Hawks power play. It's, it's been anemic for years. That's the way it is. They've overcome it and won two Stanley cup titles despite that. So let's talk about Corey Crawford a little bit. He has really pulled things together. Uh, He was fantastic in game one. He only saw 22 shots, but there were some very good chances in there that he turned away. He really kept the Blackhawks in that game. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he played, he played perfectly. As I mentioned before that, that goal scored uh, by Killorn was off a ridiculous tip that I don't know how it went in. And I'm I'm sure Corey Crawford is still wondering how that went in. Otherwise, he turned away a lot of good chances. Only only 22 stops, but some of those were really, really tough chances for a goalie to turn away. Uh, and I thought, really, this might sound unusual, that the goalie started that comeback in Game 1. That save, the 8-minute mark against Ryan Callahan, really juiced up the Hawks, and they took over the game from there. That He saw he was getting some defensive help in just a second, so he changed up the way he usually is, as you talked about Bishop uh, coming out of the crease. Crawford doesn't do that often, and instead, on this particular play, Callahan is at two Hawks defensemen right on his tail. He uh, Crawford sees that and just bursts out, gets aggressive, comes out of the crease, and it paid off. And that really set off the Hawks on the run because a few minutes later, they're up 2-1. So there's a, a interesting little tidbit about Corey Crawford out there. He wears pads that are designed to uh, bounce rebounds farther away from him uh, than most goalies where he he knows he gives up a lot of rebounds he doesn't like it sitting in front of the nets because it takes him a little while to get back on his skates when he goes down uh what does what advantage does that give uh the hawks to have rebounds going farther down ice than most teams see more men in front of the more men uh between the puck and the net simple as that it's a numbers game you get it down and then you're dealing with you know what it's Back out towards the forwards, you probably got at least two or three men uh, that can bunch up in the center between Crawford and the offensive and the offensive uh, no, the offensive player holding on to the puck. 
Uh, it's 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 just it's just a simple space game that makes all the sense in the world to wear pads that's going to give you more space and put the puck further away. So the Lightning have had a really tough time at home. They were terrible at home against the the Rangers. Excellent on the road. Uh, how important is it that the Hawks jump out to a to an early lead in Game Two? And I mean, they could be seeing the best the Lightning have to offer at the United Center in Games Three and Four. Well, and if you want to talk about home ice advantage, there is no bigger home ice advantage, as far as I'm concerned, as the United Center. Uh, Tampa has to deal with the fact that whatever their ticket policies are in terms of keeping out Blackhawks fans, they apply only to the club level. Those blue seats, the red sweaters really stick out like a sore thumb on TV. I'm sure Blackhawks fans like that. Um, if the if the Hawks can go up 2-0 in this series, there's you know, obviously mathematically there's serious talk of a sweep, but as far as the feeling and the momentum going into the United Center for a Stanley Cup final 2-0, I think the Lightning would be completely demoralized by dropping two straight games at home and then have, having to head into the Madhouse, one of the one of one of, if not the toughest arena in the NHL. It, it might be lights out for that team then. John, speaking of that uh, bizarre apparel policy that Tampa Bay has put into place, it was kind of awesome seeing some Blackhawks sweaters sitting behind the Lightning bench, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And now remember, that wasn't them breaking the rules. This only applies to the club level where they don't allow, uh, well, they only allow either lightning gear or neutral. Uh, I don't know who's really coming to a Stanley Cup final game just wearing you know, a, a suit. Oh, uh, especially it, it, especially in hockey because I mean, you can go to any other sport on the planet and you see plenty of people wearing you know ordinary street clothes. Everybody at a hockey game is wearing a sweater. Absolutely. Well, first off, you need it. It's kind of cold in there. There is ice <laughs> away from you. No, it, it was awesome. And it, it, I mean, it was the same way the Hawks always travel well, or at least they have now that they're on this run and Chicago and the rest of the nation has, has kind of fallen in love with this franchise. The, the, the Hawks enjoyed a similar advantage in Anaheim. There were plenty of their fans there. You could hear it on TV, the cheers whenever the Hawks were doing well. Uh, maybe even a bigger advantage for the in, in Tampa and with the Lightning. You could hear smatterings, and it came across on TV, of uh, whenever the Let's Go Lightning chants were going up. During the dead space, when there's the three claps, there's let's go Blackhawks answering right back. That sort of calm response. Still majority Lightning fans, let's not fool ourselves, but a vocal, vocal minority for the Blackhawks. Awesome to see, and I'm sure the team loves it. But also, I don't know how much of an advantage it gives them because they're used to it at this point. That happens probably everywhere they go besides the other big hockey markets. And especially in these playoffs, you're talking three out of their four opponents are teams that aren't in traditional hockey markets. You're, you know, the wild, you know, young, younger franchise, but they represent up there in Minnesota. That's the, that's the state of hockey. They love their team, but Nashville, Anaheim, Tampa, all of those road games for the Hawks had a sizable contingent of Hawks fans. So I don't, I, I think at this point they have to be used to it. And if it gives them a boost, it gives them a boost, but it also could just be old hat at this point. John, if the Blackhawks win this series, is there any way that Duncan Keith does not win the Conn Smythe Trophy? I mean, he should win it anyway, probably. <laughs> yeah, he really uh, should. I mean, especially 
<laughs> especially, you know, it's going to go to the winning player, but with how much he's made up and for the fact that everyone, everyone who's been playing the Hawks knows that they're weak at defensemen and then they're going to have to rely so heavily on their top four guys, really top three, and then immediately the top one at the very top, Duncan Keith, uh, you know, playing so many minutes. I don't see how they don't because the only other argument, I guess, would be for Kane, and he slows down a little bit. He didn't he didn't tally a point in game one. Uh, that brings down his point total. I think you make a, a big case for Duncan Keith being the guy and I, the, the best case, frankly, uh, on the Lightning side, it would it would it wouldn't it would uh, probably be t- it would probably be Tyler Johnson. But if if the Hawks get it, I don't see who else is a contender unless unless Kane has some monster game somewhere in the series that really boosts his points total. If he puts up a hat trick, that might elevate him over Keith just because of the goal the the, no, the factor of it being a goal scorer versus a defenseman. But looking just at the ice time, I, th- I think Keith is absolutely the man. And frankly, frankly, this could go to Game 7, and I would argue it should give, be given to a, lo- a losing player because of how much Keith propped up this team during this run when they had such a glaring weakness. Well, yeah, if there's anybody else on the Hawks that could do it, it probably is Patrick Kane because both on and off the ice, once 88 shows up to a party, it's hard to get him to leave, right? Yeah, but the, the the Lightning have a solid plan, as I as I said, to shut down Kane and Taves, especially if they keep them on the same line. Uh, John Cooper has made his business. He's going to send his top defenseman, the uh, defensive pair, uh, Victor Hedman, Anton Stallman. They're going to be all over Kane and Taves. I looked at the numbers for Game One uh, when Kane was on the ice. Uh, Hedman was on the ice sixty four percent of the time. Stallman was up against Kane 59% of the time. Stallman was even all over, uh, even more all over Taze, 67% of his shifts he was on the ice. But for Kane, they're, they know they need to shut him down. The problem is, with the Hawks' depth being what it is, at least in the playoffs where guys seem to play above their heads and above their grades, they really, uh, they, know they might get bitten by that if they focus too much, the Lightning do, on Kane and Taves and really focus they might be able to shut them down but then there's all these other guys around and they might pick up the slack like they did in game one john i wrote a piece on uh, sports of the second city.com this week taking a look at sports dynasties uh what can be considered a dynasty what can't be considered a dynasty it's such a gray area and everyone's got a different interpretation now if the hawks win that's three stanley cups in six years but they also never defended a championship, and the Kings were able to win two Stanley Cups during that run. Would would this really be considered a dynasty? I believe so because of the consistency. Uh, you're also talking about a Kings team missed the playoffs this year, and I, I believe I believe two out of three doesn't make a dynasty. Three out of six, you got to me a three title threshold has to be the minimum, and especially in you also have to consider the era. While you said the Kings won, won in, in, uh, two Stanley Cups in this era, this is also a salary cap era where that's supposed to eliminate dynasties like this. And instead, the Hawks have relied on this core that, frankly, if you look back, probably won uh, sooner than they should have in 2010 and got this dynasty off to a bit of an early run, then had to do a quick sort of two-year recovery period 
to get back on solid footing that they've remained on ever since. But I would say three out of six years, that's absolutely a dynasty. It's not exactly the Islanders. It's not exactly the Oilers. It's not exactly the old Canadians teams. But it's what it, it counts as a dynasty nowadays, and it's one that will be fondly remembered uh, when sadly when it's over before we close down shop for the week let's take a look forward for the blackhawks after this series moving into next season uh patrick sharp is likely to be gone the blackhawks have some young players that i think they can afford to lose sharp without a problem they're gonna have to pay brandon sod uh where do you see this roster heading into next season i think they're a bit they're on more solid footing i mean they're they're always going to be in solid footing at least for a while, because they gave Kane and Taves those extensions. Unfortunately, that might that's going to start counting against them next season. If the cap doesn't go up as much uh, as either were, the, the Hawks were originally expecting or just goes up a little bit, I believe the estimates were about 71, uh, they may need to restructure someone else's deals. Uh, and they also, as, they, as you said, made signing, re-signing Saad, even though he's only a restricted free agent, a priority, so they're going to have to pay him. I would think they trade away Sharp and don't get exactly matching value to his peak years in return, something on the more the budget side. You're going to see Tara Vinen be a regular. I think he's clearly earned that spot throughout these playoffs. But anyone being too worried, well, this is still – the core of this team is still very young. Kane and Taves are still under 27 years old. Corey Crawford's 30, which is very young for a goalie as good as he is. I would be more worried about what they're going to do on the defenseman side in more of the long term, not next year. The defensemen, their defensemen are a little bit older, and while defensemen can be a little bit older, there is some concern that they're not as young there as they are with when it comes to their forwards. I don't think that's a need that has to be addressed right away by signing by signing someone top flight. Hopefully they can build someone out of the farm system and take advantage of a few years of a good uh, rookie contract to save on money. But they're going to have to do a, a small little retoolings here and there. Nothing unexpected. Nothing like what you saw after the 2010 Cup team. Uh, and I think everyone, considering how solid the Hawks' core has been, would be very surprised if they're not back in at least the conference finals next year, no matter what happens in this series. Yeah, and it should be noted that Saad's only 22 years old, and he's uh, he's becoming one of the better players in the league. I think there's a lot of teams in the league uh, where Saad would easily be a first or second liner, and uh, Tara Vinen's been getting better with each and every game out. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, again, even though the Hawks, their core – of, uh, of Kane and Taves, that's built around those old draft picks that were earned during the very dark times when either if you were a Hawks fan, you don't want to think about them anymore, uh, if you were a Hawks fan during that time, or you're someone who dismissed that era entirely because Hawks weren't on TV then, the core is still young. And the fact that Kane and Taves are staring down their possible third Stanley Cup title as 27 is just absurd. And should give every Blackhawks fans hope, fan hope that there's no end to this dynasty in sight. There are going to be some changes over the next few years. As you said, Sharp likely to be trade fodder once again. He's at least going to be put up, and they'll see what nibbles they get. Hosa winding down. He's still very effective. 
He could very well play into his early 40s like several great players have. Uh, but, you know, you're going to keep getting diminishing returns at some point. But with the young core that they have and then the good young draft picks they've made in the past few years, guys like Saad, a second rounder in 2011, Andrew Shaw, fifth round in 2011, uh, Tara Vinen, the future is very bright. And on top of that, you're even looking at, I know from the little we saw of Scott Darling, if there's ever any more problems with Corey Crawford, and I'm sure like every NHL goalie, there will be times when a fan base is calling for his head, calling him for to be benched and forgetting every good thing he's ever done. There, You've got a guy in Scott Darling who has proven, at least in these small smatterings, that he can be a top-flight goalie. At the very least, at some point, he can be he can he might be able to be good trade fodder. Is Brian Bickle wearing a Blackhawk sweater next year? That's tough to say, um, but he really hasn't delivered on this contract. Uh, that makes me wonder right now if his injury, this upper body injury, that's that's knocked him out. And you're talking about a guy who it would have to be pretty serious for him medically to be sitting. And you remember in the 2013 final, he played with a grade two knee sprain through the entire series against the Bruins uh, and somehow made it through. If, if his upper body injury is a real injury that really means he cannot physically play, it's got to be serious. There's also a part of me that thinks maybe with how disappointing he's been throughout the season, throughout the postseason, five assists, not good enough for what they're paying him, that he's just so ice cold that they've lost some faith in him and that if he's not at 100%, they he's not worth playing. He's not going to overcome that. As far as next season... I, I really can't predict either way uh, because he brings something to the team despite his lack of offensive production. He brings something to the team that no one else does, that phys- that big physicality. You saw it a bit in the Duck series where he just seemed to be ping-ponging off people on certain shifts. And that helps in ways that don't really count and don't really come up on the score sheet. So that might be what saves him, but I have to think – they're sitting there looking at his production, looking at the contract he signed a few years ago, and wondering where that guy was in the 2013 playoffs and why he hasn't shown up. Yeah, you know, as good as Versteeg played in Game 1, they could have used a little bit of that physicality that Bickle uh, had to offer in that game. Before I let you go, give me a prediction on the series. I really think that the Hawks proved in Game 1 that even a game when they may get shut down, they... The experience factor that is really, you know, you you think about it as just an X factor. It's not an X's and O's type of thing. It's not something you write on the chalkboard. That really is going to be the deciding point of the series. I can't see the Lightning going rolling over completely and getting swept, considering that Ben Bishop in, in big games has delivered, but also considering how in the same Rangers series where he shut them down 2 nothing in a big game seven on the road. In that same series, he had three games where he gave up five goals against a worse offensive team than the Blackhawks are. I, I really can't see the Blackhawks not ending this in any less than six games. And frankly, I think it's going to be five. Yeah, I, uh, I tend to agree with you. I see a lot of similarities between this series and the Wild series. Hard-fought games, every game, every minute's a battle. But in the end, the Blackhawks' uh, veteran savvy wins out. I'm going to say Hawks in five. I, I, I 
think that's a, it's a safe opinion because we heard it in the Duck series and before the King series in 2014 that what causes the Hawks more trouble is facing the more physical teams. And while they've proven they can still win those series, they have more trouble with them. Whereas when it's speed on speed, even if it's a younger team, the Hawks come out on top. You know, there's a big part of me that hopes it's the Hawks in six because first, I'd like that extra game because I'm not ready for the season to end. And second, it would be so cool to see them win it at the Madhouse. And absolutely, that's, I guess the one factor that's been missing throughout this this run is not winning the title the two times they've won it, 2010, 2013. They've both been on the road and it's just not the same, although the party comes back to Chicago within a few hours anyway, as it has the past few times. That would be special, just like it was during the Bulls run. That one time they won it at you know, the old Madhouse at Chicago Stadium, that was something special. Those are images that will live on. I think every Blackhawks fan wants to see that happen. Although, uh, I think they would much prefer that happen in four games if it's going to happen <laughs> at the and going to six, and maybe having to uh, grit their teeth a little bit. Yeah, I, I get that, but I don't want to be robbed of two extra Stanley Cup Finals games. <laughs> so, That's it, true. That's true. So and, I'm selfish. <laughs> you know, you, know you, can, you can go ahead and be selfish, Brad. I, th- I, think, I think Hawks fans will forgive it in retrospect as long as it happens at the UC, although you know, they'll take the Cup coming back in a few hours and the gigantic parade. Maybe they can top $3 million this time for the parade if, it, if the – cup ends up coming back to grant park in chicago all right great stuff as always john he's john gregory he's a reporter for illinois radio network he does sports for rivet radio you can find him on twitter at john gregory x john thanks for your time this week i really appreciate the uh, the extended interview this is going to take up the whole episode this week so uh thanks for co-hosting with me Ah, uh, well no, thank you for making me the star like i deserve to be brad <laughs> All right, and that'll do it for this week's Second Winded Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Robinson. We'll be back next week with all sorts of new Chicago sports issues. Until then, check out sportsofthesecondcity.com. Thanks for listening. So long.